Bible to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. That's a little bit of a surprise to you because we are, as a church, going through the, the book of Job. But because it's Palm Sunday and it's just really just such a, a, a special day to start off the Easter Passion Week, uh, we're gonna step out of Job. And so here we are at John chapter 12. I wanna welcome you all to the Easter Passion Week. I hope you know what that is. Today is Palm Sunday, the day that we know that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, formally, officially declaring himself to be the Messiah of Israel, albeit not in the terms that they may have been expecting, but still, that's what it is. Sunday before Easter is Palm Sunday. We're gonna study today the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is a cool week. It's called the Passion Week of Christ. And we know that he entered into Jerusalem on this Sunday and he rose again on the next Sunday. We know that nothing happened on that Saturday. We know that he was crucified on Friday, that's Good Friday. We know that on Thursday, there was the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper, uh, the washing of the disciples' feet, right? That's all this week. That's all this week. It's an awesome week for us. Now, certainly, we live in light of the resurrection, the living Jesus, 24-7, right? So a couple weeks from now, when we have forgotten about Easter, we are still worshiping the living Jesus. And let's make sure we know that. Every Sunday for us is Resurrection Sunday, if you will, okay? We just have a holiday that says we're going to really focus on it, all right? And so we don't lose sight of it. But we do have this Easter Sunday, and it's an opportunity for us to get into it. And so that's what we're doing. And today is the Sunday before Easter, Palm Sunday. And that's what we're going to study. And I think that you're going to find today's sermon really helpful for you to kind of put more and more pieces together about what is it that you believe, what are Christians really, what's church really about, and understanding the life of Jesus. God wants us to know him. He wants us to know the truth. He doesn't want us to be in the dark uh, on who he is and what he's like and what he's done and how we are to understand him. And so this is great. It's Palm Sunday and we start today the Passion Week, all right? We have an awesome resource for you all and here's what it is. On your way out today, if you have any kids in your life, we want you to grab these, parents or grandparents. Uh, this is an awesome resource. It says Easter Devotional Guide for Families put out by Lifeway Kids. And it is a walk. It's got the date. Today is March the 28th. And so it starts with today, March the 28th. It's got uh, what you should read. It's got what the point is. It's got family discussion questions. It's got a guide for praying through it. It's got a, a little activity that can help you with it. And then you turn the page and it's got the same thing for tomorrow. And so for today, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, this is for you. We have these. These are awesome. On your way out, uh, Jake will be at that door and Matt will be at this door and they have these. Please grab one of these. Now, if you're gonna just take it to be kind, then don't do that. But if you're gonna take it and you're gonna actually read with the kids at home and go through this, then please, please take these. This is an awesome resource, okay? The Passion Week that we are in is a wonderful time for you to get your family focused. It's a wonderful time for you to steady your, steady your heart and recalibrate and get back focused, all right? It's okay if you've not done anything like this before or you've not done anything like this since last Easter. It's okay. You can start this evening by this resource that we wanna give you today, okay? Along with that, let me say, we have a lot of services this week, all right? We're gonna have church tonight with uh, the, the Ten Commandments series. We're gonna have Wednesday night church like we, we normally do. But then we've added in these extra services. And, and right here on Friday night, we're gonna have a Good Friday service. If you're looking for a way to kind of focus your faith, grow in the Word, understand what it means to follow Christ, that we wanna invite you. The Friday night, Good Friday service, we do it each year. It's a simple service. It's not even an hour long, but it allows us to focus in on the crucifixion of Jesus, which came before the resurrection of Jesus. So if we're gonna be here Sunday morning focusing on the risen Christ, that he's alive and the tomb is empty, Friday night is kind of this extra emphasis of Easter week 
to focus in on that. I wanna invite you to be here Friday night as we look at the crucifixion of Jesus, all right? And then on Sunday morning, we're gonna have two services and a sunrise service. Some of y'all I know have never been to a sunrise service, but the Bible says that Jesus rose from the grave early that Sunday morning. And the Bible says that when they showed up at the tomb, before the sun had come up, Jesus had already risen and the tomb was empty and the stone had been rolled away. And so Christians like to do that on Easter Sunday. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna meet out front here of our church. We're gonna meet outside. We'll have chairs on the lawn and on the sidewalk. You can sit on the steps. You can sit on the front porch. And we will have a worship service here at 7 a.m. next Sunday. We wanna invite all of you all to that, okay? We will provide breakfast after that at eight o'clock right here. And then we will not have Sunday school. And then at 1045, we'll be back in here. You can come to one. You can come to both. You can come to everything. We can see you uh, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. We can see you a lot this week. But here's the point. We want you to focus in on is the risen living Jesus everything to you? Is he your savior? Is he who you follow, okay? So it's gonna be a good week and we're looking forward to it. A whole lot of uh, plan and preparation has gone into that. So today... John chapter 12, Palm Sunday. We were watching a TV show the other day and they used the phrase that there were the brains and the brawn. Y'all heard that phrase before, right? I love that phrase. And uh, so we were having a little discussion about what that means and y'all know what it means, right? There's a, there's a partnership or there's a team or something and somebody in the, in the group is the smart one and somebody in the group is the strong one, Right? And so I raised the question that in, in our marriage, who's the brains and who's the brawn? That was an easy question for our kids. They said, well, mom is the brains. And at first I kind of thought, that's a, that's a compliment. I am stronger than her, right? I'm stronger than her. I like being the brawn. But then it kind of dawned on me, well, wait a second. Are y'all kind of recognizing me as the brawn or are y'all recognizing me as not the brains? And we kind of had that discussion, and it, it, led, it led us to going, well, wouldn't it be good if we're both? What if, what, if, what if she's brains and brawn in some capacity, and I'm brains and brawn in some capacity? Wouldn't it be better to be both? Like, we don't have to be an either or, do we? When it comes to Jesus, there's this huge tension between who is he and what has he done? This comes out all the time in the Bible. Who is he and what has he done? And I want you to hear today, you can never let it just be one of those. There's too much of a danger if all he is is somebody to you separating out what he's done. There's too much a danger if all he is to you is what he's done, but not who he is. The Bible throughout wants to push us to focusing in on who is Jesus and what has Jesus done. And who he is is what makes what he's done so important. And what he's done is what strengthens us in on who he is. And we must get that. Now, it, it is okay if one of us are the brains and one of us is the brawn, at the end of the day, that doesn't actually matter. But in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing who Jesus is matters and believing what Jesus has done matters. We must believe both of those. So today we look at John chapter 12 and we're gonna read verses 12 through 26. And in your Bible, you probably see there that this is the triumphal entry. Does everybody see that? Now, this is neat, okay? It's Palm Sunday. It's the triumphal entry. This is when Jesus entered into Jerusalem for the final time so that he could die and be crucified. This is a Sunday. He would be crucified on a Friday, okay? That's what's about to happen. The reason why it's called the triumphal entry is because... 
There was very much so like this kingly, godly, Messiah, uh, divine glory type of thing entering through the east gate into Jerusalem. Cities back then had walls all around them. You could not just drive into a city. There were proper places to enter in. There were gates with guards, and that's the only way you got in. And the east gate was recognized as the place where glory would come, where the Messiah would enter into. And that's where we have Jesus entering into Jerusalem here. That's why I said at the beginning that he is announcing and officially declaring that he is their Messiah. That's why it's called the triumphal entry. But because they didn't fully understand who he is and what he's done rightly the way we are to, and they had not understood it yet, there was a whole lot of confusion about that, and that's what I want to show today. But this triumphal entry passage that we have in John 12 is such a key part of the story that it is in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, are considered the four Gospels. They are just four different accounts or perspectives of who Jesus is and what he's done, the life and story of Jesus. The Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Luke, and the Gospel according to John. These are four different guys, some disciples, some not. Four different guys who are writing down their thorough investigative report of who Jesus was. It's really good for us. And so we read all four of them and we can hear all these different things. Matthew has some stories that Mark doesn't have and Luke has some stories that John doesn't have, right? But there are a few stories that all four record for us. And the triumphal entry is one of those. Matthew chapter 21, Mark chapter 11, Luke chapter 19, and John chapter 12 all have the triumphal entry. Now, with the four Gospels, the first three are called synoptics, and that just means they see it the same way, okay? The synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that means they see it the same way. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar, and they often report in a very similar way, and John kind of stands alone as being very different from the others. But all four have the triumphal entry, They all want us to know Jesus entered into Jerusalem and this was massive in the history of Israel. This is massive in the faith of Israel because what Jesus entered into Jerusalem for is ultimately what all of creation is about. What he entered into Jerusalem for is what this whole book is pointing us to. What Jesus entered into Jerusalem for is the very thing it will satisfy your soul and bring life to your, your body. The triumphal entry points us to why Jesus came, okay? That's why this passage is so important here on Palm Sunday. Read with me, John 12, 12 through 26. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies. It bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the triumphal entry passage according to John. The triumphal entry passage is very well known just as Palm Sunday is. It's a big holiday. But the Palm Sunday triumphal entry passage gets a lot of attention with Hosanna, them crying out, the people lining the streets, and the palm branches, right? Everybody, when they hear of Palm Sunday, remembers the palm branches, which the people went and gathered and they brought to the streets. And it really was kind of sort of the way we would think of a parade. It really was. Jesus was riding in, and although they didn't like that he was on a small little donkey, that doesn't seem very glorious, right? Although he was riding in on a donkey, they were still thinking, this is our king, God's king, coming for us. And so they did cry out, and they did praise, and they did worship. And there's a real sense in which they're right, and they're getting it right, and they're understanding, and it's glorious, and they're praising him. You see that in the passage from Luke 19 that Matt read just a minute ago, where they try to tell them to stop worshiping him, and Jesus says, if these don't, the rocks will cry out. That's an awesome picture that we see. Jesus says, I will be worshiped, and if people don't worship me, all of creation will. The stones will sing songs to me, because I'm that worthy and that deserving of worship. It's an awesome part of it. But it's these things, the donkey, the colt, that he'd never been ridden, right? The, the mystery around them going, why, why are you taking this donkey because it's not yours? And they say the Lord needs it, and they say, okay, right? That's a neat part of the story with the sovereign lordship authority of Jesus. The palm branches, the entering in the donkey and all of that. And Palm Sunday often is focused on that. But when it's only that, we miss the main purpose of the cross of Christ, the crucifixion, and the death of Jesus. Every single part of the Bible of God's word is wanting us to, be under, to understand it through the cross of Jesus. If you're new to Bible study, then let me welcome you to that. Every single part of the Bible in God's word is wanting us to understand it in light of the cross of Jesus, that God sent his son to die. We can never as Christians seek to understand truth or scripture or life apart from the reality that Jesus Christ died on a cross. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And if anybody sins, they will die. All of us have sinned and all of us will die. That's, that's pretty basic. But Jesus is God and he never sinned. And so there's a great discussion around, well, then how did he die? How could he die? Why did he die? And the answer to that is he would not have died because he was sinless. But on the cross, God put the sins of the world on Jesus as a sacrifice, and so he was killed for us. This is a part of the Easter story, and this is a part of life that must be understood. Now, another little note that's going on here, a little side note that's going on here, is that they are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and the Passover is the holiday once a year where they would kill a lamb as a sacrifice for them. And Jesus and God worked it out to where Jesus Christ was killed during the Passover. And the New Testament tells us that now Jesus is our Passover lamb who died for us. So we have to understand everything in light of the cross. And in the story of the triumphal entry that we read here, they are recognizing we need a savior, we need an answer, God's gonna set up a kingdom, but they didn't understand that fully. And the way we know that they didn't understand that fully is because they didn't have the idea of redemption, sacrifice, cross with it. And yet we do. So that's what we're studying here today. 
So while all those other themes are there in this passage or in these four passages from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I want you to also recognize that it is in these passages, well, what's this mean? Who is Jesus? Let me show you a few things. In the account from Matthew, Matthew chapter 21, verse 10, it says this. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Isn't that great? So there's a real sense in which, oh yeah, this is Palm Sunday, we got the branches, Hosanna in the highest, and everybody just thinks this is an awesome new holiday for them, the king has come, God's setting up his kingdom here. But Matthew tells us that the whole city, 2110, asked, who is this? So there's a good question there. Who is this and what does this mean? Why is it significant? All right? In Mark, we have Mark telling us basically a lot of what all four are saying. Mark always keeps it simple. His gospel is the shortest. He was in a hurry. It was written first. But Mark tells us those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king, coming of the kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. So Mark tells us of the people that were there thinking, this is it. But notice that they're thinking of the kingdom of our father, David. Notice that they're just thinking national. They're just thinking political. They're just thinking, man, it used to be awesome with David. He was such a good king to us. It really seemed like Israel had things going well. And once Jesus gets back in here, or once Jesus enters in here, and if he is our king, man, things are gonna get so much better for us nationally, politically here. That's what they were thinking mostly. Now, because they are God's people, they were thinking about it from a spiritual perspective well, and yet it was completely wrong. He wasn't coming to set up a kingdom here. He had already said, my kingdom is not of this world. So there were people there thinking, this is it, and there were people there going, who is this? Then you get to Luke's account, which again, Matt already read that. And here's what we have the Pharisees saying. Remember, they were already against Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. Jesus was declaring that he was God. Jesus was declaring that he had come from God. Jesus was declaring that he was the son of God. Jesus was declaring that he was the savior. Jesus said all of those things and the Pharisees did not like it. They already had their religion and thought they were focused on God. And Jesus was just getting in the way. So the Pharisees, Luke 19, 39, in the crowd said to him, teacher, they said this to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. You talk about like not getting it. These guys did not get it. They told Jesus, rebuke your disciples, Luke 19, 39. And that's when Jesus answered back, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So the Pharisees didn't understand. They're telling Jesus what to do they're wanting the people who are saying Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're wanting them to shut up and be quiet and to stop praising him. Now, I already said that they're partly right. But Jesus says, let them keep doing it. Because Jesus understands that what he's about to do will unfold further who he is and what he's doing. But the Pharisees really, really missed that. Just as a little side note for you all, one of my favorite people to listen to in music is Shane and Shane. They have a whole album called Rocks Won't Cry. That's a good album. Hey, if we're singing, the rocks don't need to, right? If we're praising Jesus, the rocks don't need to. They have an album called Rocks Won't Cry. It comes right there from Luke 19, 39. So in Matthew, people are asking, who is this? In Mark, he's saying that people are trying to worship him. Luke shows the Pharisees absolutely rejecting the whole thing. And then we get to John, what we're gonna study here this morning. At John chapter 12, verse 16, it says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. That's helpful. The disciples didn't understand. They weren't understanding all that was going on. They are the ones that had been with Jesus for three years. We're at the very end, remember? This is the last week of Jesus' life. He's about to lead them, leave them. They know him really well. They know what he said. They know how he acted. They know, they know how good he was, right? They know his declarations. They know his claims to be God and Savior. And yet they're still not understanding everything. Okay, so let me say a couple things. One, you can't understand fully until the spirit is inside of you. You can't understand fully until you have a new heart and a new birth. The natural man, the fallen man, does not understand these things. Now, they understand goodness. They understand morality. They understand good and bad. And that's why there's a lot of fine people in the world that yet still do not worship God. They don't trust Christ. 
But the second thing I want you to understand is you also cannot understand until you understand redemption. Now, you could understand redemption before he had died on the cross, but they were wrestling with it and they were struggling. They were struggling with that. You cannot understand a relationship with God, rightness with God, worship to God, until you understand redemption, sacrifice, redeemer, that this guy died when he shouldn't have died, and I'm the one that should have died. This guy was punished when he shouldn't have been punished, and I'm the one that should have been punished. He didn't sin, and yet I have sinned before God. Yet he loves me and receives me and welcomes me because I believe that he did that for me out of his love for me. That is what it's all about. And until you understand that redemption, everything else will be cloudy and blurry and at times make sense and at times just raise more questions. We must understand redemption. And so the disciples are wrestling with this. It says that they did not understand these things. In verse 18, though, of chapter 12, it says, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So here's a, another group of people that are kind of going, we've heard some things. We want to come see what's going on. We've heard about the entry into Jerusalem. We've heard about the donkey, right? John tells us this is a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter nine. The prophets had said that the Messiah would ride in on a donkey. Jesus did. So they're hearing all of this. They're thinking, okay, I think something's going on here. It's a big deal. People are lying in the streets. We got to go see what this is about. You get into verse 19 of chapter 12, and the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The Pharisees are somewhat frustrated and puzzled. They're kind of baffled. They are totally thinking that according to the word of God or according to our faith or our wrong beliefs, this guy cannot be what it's all about, and yet everybody is thinking that this is what it's all about. So you see their response. And then you get to verse 21 of chapter 12, and the Greeks have now shown up. Verse 20 says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast, so remember, they're going because of the feast that they're having for the Passover. This is a holiday for them. Were some Greeks, okay? So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, look at this, sir, we wish to see Jesus. So one of the things that we see from the triumphal entry passages in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is that there's a whole lot of questioning like, what is this? Who is he? What's the significance? Help me make sense of all this. And I don't want to take too big of a step or too far of a jump, but that's exactly where we're living these days too. I want to say that that's the way it always is. 2021, 1921, United States of America, or anywhere else in the world, people are wrestling with who is Jesus? Does he deserve my surrender? Is he worthy of it? Will it help me if I get focused on him or will it not? Can I survive this life just on my own or do I need him? Is he really against me or for me? Is the devil really trying to ruin my life? And if so, what's the solution to that? These are the questions that I think must be answered. And these are the questions that we see people asking. Now, they may try to shield it and try to act like they're not that spiritual or their heart's not really wrestling with it, right? We all try to put on a little bit better than what we are, especially spiritually. But I want you to know that here in the triumphal entry passages, we see all sorts of opinions and views and interest and lack of interest and anger and uh, excitement around Jesus. And what does this mean? And so it is today. There are people in our lives who do not want anything to do with the resurrection of Jesus. There are people determined right now that they will not for anything go to church next Sunday. They don't want to hear about it. There are people in our lives who are gonna be in church next Sunday and they haven't in a while. But there's something about it that causes them to be interested. There are people in our lives right now who are curious asking questions and wondering. And you know what I mean? So all over the place, we have people in different walks of life thinking about Jesus. And the triumphal entry is very much so the same. We see these different responses. So what I want to do now is give us three points that Palm Sunday shows us. 
Number one, Palm Sunday shows us who Jesus is. Number two, Palm Sunday shows us what Jesus did. And number three, Palm Sunday shows us how we get Jesus. Who he is, what he did, and how we get him. Number one, Palm Sunday shows us who Jesus is. He is the king. Nobody misses that from Palm Sunday. He rides in as the king of Israel. Now you would think that he would have a crown on his head and this big giant horse and everybody would say, that's the most impressive man, but he did it in his other way. And that's why I said that they were partly right. They kind of got this. Their understanding was somewhat there. They knew that they wanted a king. They knew that things weren't very glorious right now. They knew that things needed to get better and that's what we all recognize. But the thing you've got to know about God is that God's answers and God's promises are spiritual. They are for eternal life. He does not promise us that his kingdom will be set up in an earthly type of way here. He does promise us that he is a king of a kingdom. He does promise us that his kingdom is not of this world. He does promise us that his kingdom is forever, 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 forever in eternal life. And he does promise us that by believing in him, we can have the kingdom now, but it is a kingdom in your heart. It is not necessarily a kingdom on this earth. And it's important for us to understand that. We understand that in light of all that the Bible says. These people did not. And so Palm Sunday is drawing this out. Is he a king? Yes. A king that they thought he was? No, not necessarily. They knew they needed a king, and he is that king. But how is he that king? Well, that's what's about to unfold in the Passion Week. Remember, the whole question is gonna come about. Are you the king of the Jews? Remember on trial, once he's arrested and beaten and all that, don't you remember that they're gonna drag him in, in in handcuffs and chains and they're gonna ask him in front of everybody, are you the king of the Jews, right? You know the story. And he's gonna say to them, you said so, right? And Jesus is not gonna get into this big argument. He's not gonna prevent them from killing him, but he is the king, but he's not just their national political king. Jesus is the king of everything, king of the universe, king of all kings. He is not just a king that Jewish Israelites bow down to in Jerusalem. He is a king that every knee ever will bow down to. Every knee will bow to King Jesus, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Palm Sunday is showing us this because while he rides in as a king, he rode in to show them what type of a king he was, and that would require his death, his rejection, his arrest, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that's why there at verse 16, it says, look back to 12, 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. He is a king and they're partly understanding it. But once he came back to life and the tomb was empty and he reigned on high, it went like, bam, he really is the king. He's not just the king right here for a few years with his political reign. He reigns forever. King of kings. Palm Sunday shows us this. It shows us who he is, King Jesus. If all we know is who he is, but not what he did, then he is just a fine model or example for us. On the level of just a saint, if you will. On the level of any exemplary life or person. If all we know is who he is and not what he did. But if all we know is what he did, and that's about to be the second point, but if all we know is what he did, but not who he is, then he is just a nice piece of history that struggles, or we struggle to see its significance for today. And not only that, knowing what he did without knowing who he is prevents us from knowing him in a real and personal way as Lord and Savior. We must see that the Bible wants us to know Jesus Christ for who he is and for what he did. And we must believe both. 
Palm Sunday shows us who he is, the king, but number two, Palm Sunday shows us what he did, what he came to do. We can't miss this. This is the part that they really did not understand. Look back to chapter 12. So those Greeks show up and they find some disciples and they ask Philip and Andrew, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so in verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So now, check this out, Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey and there are people there who are mad, the Pharisees. There are people there who are questioning like Matthew tells us about. But there are some travelers who had come to Jerusalem for this holiday. They're seeing what's going on and they're going, hey, we want to see him too. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. What a statement, right? So Philip and Andrew go and get him. That's cool. Verse 23, now Jesus is answering. And this is huge because we have Jesus having just entered into Jerusalem. Worship is trying to happen and you've got some people there saying, we wanna see him and now they've got him. Isn't that cool? Verse 23, Jesus answered, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. This is a huge statement in the Gospel of John. The hour has come. John has been saying throughout the Gospel, it's not his time, it's not his time, it's not his time. And every time he said it's not his time, he would say it like this, my hour has not yet come. And that's what he means, it's not his time. The first instance of this is chapter two, which I know that y'all remember. Chapter two, the wedding at Cana, the first miracle that Jesus ever did is when he turned the water to wine, and you know that, right? And when Jesus' mother, Mary, comes and says, they're out of wine, and she turns to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you, right? And this is the beginning of the gospel, so we're all kind of like taking a step back, like, what? wait a second, how much do they understand? Does Mary understand? Does Jesus understand? Do the disciples understand? Do the people serving understand? Like, what's going on here? And she says, do whatever he says to do. But when she says that to Jesus, remember, Jesus said, my hour's not yet come yet. I mean, I might go do a little miracle, like turn some water to wine, that's not a big deal, but it ain't time for me yet. You see this throughout the Gospel of John. John, my time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And what Jesus is talking about is that it's time for him to die. The whole purpose, the most important thing in the Bible, the most important thing in all of creation. My kids were on a Zoom call this week with school and uh, history class or something, I'm not really sure. But they got into this question about what do B, C, and A, D stand for? That's a great discussion, isn't it? I'm not sure what people think it stands for now, but we all know what it stands for, and we all know what shaped it. And we can change it all around and say what it stands for, but I'll tell you what split the date. It's the coming of Christ. That's what split the date. And we can decide that it means other things now, but everybody with a brain at all can recognize there was something massive that happened at the end of the BCs, and there was something massive that happened at the start of the ADs, Right? And Anno Domini means year of our Lord. What this Bible is wanting us to understand is that Jesus Christ came to die. And Jesus Christ came to die because me and you need somebody to die for us. We are not gonna be good enough to get there. We are not gonna get to our, our deathbed or our funeral and just think, well, I have been a great person. That ain't gonna work. We are not gonna walk to the gates of heaven and hope that we wink at him the right way or present ourselves well enough that we will find favor in his sight. That's not the way it works. We will find favor in his sight because he's a gracious and favorable God through sending his son Jesus to die for us. And when you are washed in the blood and clothed in his righteousness and holding on tightly to faith, you will be accepted by him. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to have. But you have to know that God sent his son Jesus to die for you and you have to believe that and you see this because he keeps saying it's not my time it's not my time it's not my time but right here in John chapter 12 as soon as he does the triumphal entry into Jerusalem they come looking for him uh, Philip and Andrew bring these Greeks to Jesus and Jesus says it is time the hour has come what hour the time to die he is going Luke chapter nine, way back in Luke chapter nine, when Jesus gets determined, Luke chapter nine says he set his face toward Jerusalem, which is one of those hints, those foreshadows of he's dialed into the cross. He's going to die. 
Now notice what he says next. I'm telling you that verse 23 means it's time for him to die. And if you're not so sure about that, well then look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus still talking, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He is talking about himself. The very life that is to be found in the world, the very light that is to be found in the world, the very growth that is to be found in the world, the very fruit that is to be found in the world, all of these terms that he's using right here come through the death of Jesus being a life giver to those who are dead in their sins. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We do not have life or fruit or growth or light in us without Jesus. But through him dying for us, we can get his life, his light, his righteousness given to us by faith. Not because of our performance, not because of our obedience, not because of our good works, but because of his life and light. Because of him dying for us, when we believe that, we get his. And that's what he's describing here. Palm Sunday shows us what Jesus did. Notice in verse 24, you have a grain of wheat falling into the earth. You have and it dying. You have but if it dies. You have him talking about death and he's talking to himself. If anybody tried to say that he was talking about gardening here, it would be the most off the wall, random, odd, I cannot understand what he's talking about. But he's talking about himself. My hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's time for me to die. And so Palm Sunday shows us that we are to understand the donkey, the riding in, the entry into Jerusalem, the palm branches, the worship, the confusion around it, the why he didn't really accept that worship as the final thing. This wasn't a parade. It wasn't a victory parade for sure. He was just starting the big deal. He's five days away from the main event, the crucifixion. He came to die. If all we know is who he is, but not what he did, then he is just a fine model or example for us on the level of any exemplary life or person. But if all we know is what he did, but not who he is, then he is just a nice piece of history that we struggle to see the significance of today. And not only that, knowing what he did without knowing who he is present, prevents us from knowing him in a real and personal way as Lord and Savior. We must see that the Bible wants us to know Jesus Christ for who he is and for what he did, and we must believe both. Now, if you're still struggling with that, that the whole purpose of it all is for him to come to die, then I want you to look ahead for just a second. Look all the way over to verse 32. And we stopped at verse 26 today, but I want to show you verse 32. Jesus is still talking. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, that's talking about the crucifixion on the cross, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Look at verse 33. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? You see that? Jesus is still talking to them about his death. This is the entire issue. Truly, the entire issue is him dying. How did he die? Why could he die? Why did he need to die? That's the issue. And he was teaching them this. They weren't understanding it. But Palm Sunday shows us that he had to, that he came to. Palm Sunday shows us who he is. He's the king, forever king, eternal king, king of kings. Palm Sunday shows us what Jesus did. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. But lastly and finally, Palm Sunday shows us how we get Jesus. Look back to verse 25. He goes immediately from his life and death and purpose and his hour and why he came. Remember, that's all he's talking about there in 23 and 24, all right? He had to die, that's why he came. 
The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's what he's talking about in 23 and 24. And immediately in 25, look what he says. Whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And, wherever, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What a call, right? When you understand who he is, he's king of the world. When you understand what he's done, the king of the world died on the cross for us. When you understand that rightly, that I am a sinner that caused him to die. I'm a sinner that needed a sacrifice. I'm a sinner that has broken the law of God. I'm a sinner that's not perfect in the eyes of God. I'm a needy sinner. And yet God in his love and mercy as a true father in heaven came for me and let Jesus die for me and offer Jesus up for me. When you know that and you start to think, man, I want it. I want my life to be about God. I want to commit to him. I believe that he did that for me. I want to live for God. When you get there, he gives us the answer. Just look at these terms. Serve me, follow me, you get me, you'll be with me. You get the father too. The father will honor you. All of that right there in verses 25 and 26. If you want God and you want Jesus and you want his sacrifice for you and the forgiveness of sins, here's what you do. You love your life in such a way that you're willing to lose your life to gain forgiveness. You don't make it all about the now. You don't make it all about you. You don't make it all about here. You're ready to live for God and his glory and eternity. He says, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Obviously, to us these days, these are really polarizing terms like love and hate, and at times it can really put us off, but here's what it means. It means that God becomes the most important thing to us. It means that God becomes the treasure. He becomes the source, the foundation. He becomes the happiness, the joy, the peace, the contentment, and life is about him. And everything else, even our own desires and our own pleasures, take a far back seat, like hating those in comparison to loving him. That's why we say things like, not to us, O God, but to your name be the glory. That's what this is about. And Jesus is saying that Palm Sunday is a declaration of who he is. He's the true king. And Palm Sunday is a declaration that he had to come and die for us. But Palm Sunday also shows us that we can have him, a relationship with him. We can turn away from our sins in repentance. We can turn to God and say, God, will you forgive me of my sins? God, I repent and I want you and I accept you and I believe you and I ask you to be Lord of my life and I trust that you are reigning and working now in my life and we want to serve him. He uses that phrase. We want to follow him with our lives. We're going in the direction of God. We can be with him. What an awesome phrase. I will be with you where I am. There will my servant be also. And in serving God, the Father will honor him. In serving Christ, the Father will honor him. We read the triumphal entry passages from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we see it as a scene. I mean, it's a scene. It's a scene in which there are so many neat parts, palm branches, the entering into Jerusalem, the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament that there really is a, a king forever because Jesus is the king forever. But it's spiritual, not political. And in understanding that, we are drawn in to God's son, our savior. And we are to believe. We are to go toward him. We are to run to him and get him. And the Bible makes clear we can. So what we must understand this Palm Sunday is who he is and what he's done. I want to close this service by reading Revelation chapter four. Turn there, please. It's the last book of the Bible, chapter four. You may have seen this before, but I wanna point this out to you. Revelation 4 and 5 are two separate chapters, but it's really one big section. And I know you always hear that Revelation's confusing and it's hard to understand, and so you probably haven't read it that much. But I'm gonna tell you this, Revelation 4 and 5 is not confusing and hard to understand. It is awesome. It's not a hard one to understand. And it's a 
It, 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 it goes together, these two chapters. Remember, this is a, a vision that God gave to the apostle John as he was about to die in prison on the island of Patmos. But I've been trying to make the whole point this morning that you must believe in Jesus for who he is and what he's done, right? I must have said that 50 times. Who he is and what he's done. And I want to show you how this is exactly what we see in Revelation four and five. If you love the word of God and you're excited about going to heaven and you believe that you're going to heaven and you believe that Revelation is the truth of God speaking to us to teach us, you're gonna like this. Revelation four and five is filled with a scene from heaven and songs that are being sung around the throne of heaven, okay? That's what's going on in Revelation four and five. But notice the songs in chapter four, like verse eight. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Yeah, that song doesn't tell us anything about what he's done. That song is all about who he is. Look over to verse 11. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Again, it's a song about who he is. He's the creator and he's worthy and he's God and he deserves our glory and honor and our attention. He deserves us to go and get him believing that he died for us. In Revelation chapter four, they are pictures of songs being sung around heaven, but those songs are all about who he is. But then you get over to chapter five. It's the same scene, but it shifts a little bit. Verse five, we've got one who has conquered. Verse six, we've got one who is a lamb standing as though he has been slain. Then we get to verse nine and it says, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That song there is about what he's done. He gave his life. He died. He was nailed to a cross. He was crucified. God sent him to the earth to die for us. God sent him on a donkey riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to die for us. And in heaven, they sing songs about that bloodshed. Jump ahead to verse 12. They sang with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. See, the songs in chapter four are all about who Jesus is. And the songs in chapter five are all about what Jesus did. But they're being sung by people who believed it. See, the thing about heaven is not everybody makes it. Not everybody sings those songs. One of the biggest, most sobering truths of our day, right? A truth that I hope you believe still to your core. Not everybody makes it. But you know what Palm Sunday teaches us? Anybody can. Anybody can. If they will believe who he is and what he's done. Hey, if it's still in your fleshly, prideful way of thinking, to think that God accepts you because of how good you are, would you believe the triumphal entry passage today? That Jesus is the king of all and he came to die for your sins. And would you believe that? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Palm Sunday. Oh God, we want to cry out, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord because he came to die on the cross for our sins. Father, we worship you for this message. God, we pray that you would stir in our hearts that we would get you and want you and turn to you with repentance. Father, give us life and faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you're ready to trust in